Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Now, barring an almighty political upset, admittedly, we have had quite a few of those in recent years. Labour are almost certainly going to form the next government when a disintegrating conservative political project finally collapses in about two years time. Now, no government in British democratic history, I would argue, has so thoroughly self-immolated as the current administration. Now, in this time of crisis, and let's be honest, pretty exhausting, relentless turmoil, that we're talk- what we're talking about today might seem parochial, might seem parochial to you, might maybe even seems a bit obscure. The internal machinations of a political party, you might think, why does this matter in the grand scheme of things? Not least given the manifest injustices that the current government, I think many of us would agree, are responsible for. But democracy is a precious thing. And if a party leadership shows contempt for the democracy of its own party, It raises questions about how it will treat democracy more widely and indeed its critics, not just internally, but externally. Now, three years ago, Keir Starmer launched his bid for the party leadership, the leader, of course, of the Labour Party. And after the trauma of the 2019 electoral cataclysm, his pitch really did hit, I think, the sweet spot of a party membership, which was very traumatised. Not just by the defeat, but I'd say pretty tired by the Labour civil wars of the second half of the 2010s. Now, his promise was to maintain the radical domestic political prospectus of his predecessor, but professionalise it and bring about party unity. Labour would be a broad church, he promised. And crucially, he said, Labour members would be able to freely choose their candidates without interference from the party leadership. Now, no one can credibly or honestly say that Keir Starmer has kept to to the letter or, frankly, the spirit of his leadership campaign. Many of those who are often very eloquent, rightly, about the dishonesty and the lack of integrity of the Conservatives are themselves, if we're honest, silent about this brazen deceit. Their objection is not to dishonesty, but rather to being on the receiving end of it. And they believe that the destruction of left-wing politics is a noble end and therefore all means are justified. Now, Starmer has abandoned much of his domestic policies, most famously enshrined in the so-called 10 pledges. The left has been driven from the front bench and crucially party selections have been systematically rigged to ensure that only candidates, almost exclusively, not entirely, but almost exclusively, who are loyal to the political direction of the leadership can stand as MPs. With the Labour left, which has existed since the party was founded, which has included luminaries like Nye Bevan, the former leader of the Labour left, who, of course, founded the National Health Service, the left barred from being selected as prospective candidates. From the promise of Corbynism with a professional face, we have Blairism, if I'm going to be a bit snarky, with a less charismatic face. Now, 
I'm going to bring in just in a second the brilliant journalist Michael Crick, who is formerly of Channel 4 News, but of lots and lots of many different hats. We're going to talk to John McDonnell later on, who used to be, of course, Shadow Chancellor, who's written to Keir Starmer about the selection process. If you're watching live, do click on the YouTube link and press like and subscribe. You can support the channel by using Super Chat, and then I will read out everyone, all those Super Chats. I will put those questions to our esteemed guests. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, as ever, hello, do leave a review. Great. Let's bring in Michael. Hey, Michael. How you doing, buddy? Great to see hello. you. Um, I'm glad, actually, great knitwear, knitwear from Michael Crick, which I say that because John McDonnell is also famous for his knitwear, so I should have should have joined the party there. Um, it's an honor, Michael. You know what? I mean, I don't want to make you feel like old or whatever, but, you know, because I grew up, of course, watching your face um, on television. You are an award-winning uh, journalist. Now, you have been following more closely than any other journalist in the country the selections process of the Labour Party. So I just want to start with a tweet from Keir Starmer from the 2020 leadership election. He said the selections for Labour candidates needs to be more democratic and we should end any seat in positions of candidates. Local party members should select their candidates for every election. Has that promise been maintained? Well, technically, uh, you know, by an NEC in position, I suppose he means, well, the NEC say, right, here's the shortlist or here's the candidate, like it or lump it. Uh, but, uh, you know, of course he's broken what he said there. And... I mean, what's fascinating is that uh, the network of people around Starmer, um, all of whom have got a background in those right wing Labour groups uh, that try and try to keep the uh, right wing Labour flag flying during, during the Corbyn years, groups like Labour First, Labour to Win, Progress. Um, there's a group of individuals who have basically got pretty much exclusive charge of the candidate selection process at a national level, aided by um, regional directors of the Labour Party. And uh, they'd be basically fixing uh, these selections um, right across the country. And in such a way that it appears that they don't want to just sort of make sure that the balance is pro-Starmer, uh, but that the left is almost annihilated completely. Now, this sort of thing's gone on in the old days. And frankly, uh, your friends, uh, you know, uh, on the left uh, tried to do it in 2019 and 2017 and got a few people chosen. And there were often some pretty unfortunate things happening to people on the right who were who were purged, frankly, in the Corbyn years. And it happened. It happened in the days of Blair and Wilson and everybody. But it, it didn't happen on end or any of those leaders in such a way as if you try and eliminate all of your opponents, mm. you know, like like something out of Eastern Europe or North Korea or or, or modern day uh, Russia. And uh, that is uh, what I find fascinating. And the me the methods they use as well. It's all done quite quietly behind the scenes, subtly, uh, because nobody is it, no, nobody wants to be known as what's called the lotto candidate, the leader of the opposition candidate, because local parties do guard their independence. They don't want to feel that somebody's being imposed. Nonetheless, individuals who look like they're not troublemakers, who aren't going to cause Starmer any trouble when he's in uh, in government, have quietly behind the scenes been imposed somewhere. So there's only really, of the 50 si 57 candidates, two more chosen this afternoon, uh, chosen so far, there's only one really that I would say, and I'm sure you probably agree, uh, uh, is on the left, and that's Pfizer Shaheen in 
uh, Chingford and uh, Woodford Green in Duncan Smith's seat. She fought it last time, a very uh, good economist. Uh, but uh, the rest, left have almost left the battlefield. They've, they found it very, very difficult to get on the short lists or the long lists simply because of the activities of the National Party, the National Executive and the regional offices and all the little clever tricks they play. Um, and I'm only, I'm only aware of, you know, an ex a part of what, what's been going on. And uh, I mean, my background, I'm, I'm sort of politically, I'm middle of the road, I'm right wing Labour, Liberal Democrat, that sort of area. But I'm also a pluralist. And I just think this is not right. That, you, you know, you need the Labour Party has always been strong when it's had yeah. a significant left representation uh, throughout its ranks and particularly at the top. And, th and that's not going to happen, really, uh, in the next parliamentary Labour Party or in the next Labour government, if there is one. I think it's really important what the, the point you just made to want to emphasise that because me and John McDonnell, who will be on uh, shortly afterwards, I suppose it's easier to dismiss us. Lefties disgruntled about being defeated and smashed, I would say by very deceitful means, but nonetheless, easy to write that off, sore losers, all the rest of it. You're coming from this actually from a perspective of journalistic integrity and a commitment to pluralism, not actually because you're a flag bearer for the Labour left, because you're not. I mean, that, that's what makes you so credible. And that's why I think your voice in this is so crucial. Can we just use this case study? Okay, Lauren Townsend. So uh, for those listening on the podcast, we've flashed up an image of Lauren Townsend. I've met Lauren Townsend a few times. Um, she's very charismatic. She largely brought up as, by a single mom in Milton Keynes. Came to the Labour Party through the Labour movement, um, organising in the service sector, which is very, very low levels of unionisation, that led a tips campaign, TGI Friday, got huge numbers of people uh, in TGI Friday unionised. Not quite quite a, an achievement, I would say, in the modern trade union movement. Um, she had a huge amount of support from unions, including Unison, who aren't a left-wing trade union, but also, for example, the candidate in Milton Keynes South, who isn't on the left of the party either. What happened with Lauren Townsend? Well, she was... Uh, I mean, what happens is they... The, people put their names forward and they get interviewed by this NEC panel to draw up a long list. And she was accused of uh, various things. But, I mean, uh, there were a couple which were, frankly, ridiculous. I mean, uh, last year, uh, the Scottish First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, tweeted that she... Uh, that, fortunately, uh, a COVID test that she'd had had proved negative. And um, uh, 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 Lauren uh, Townsend uh, tweeted that she liked that. Uh, yeah, she just pressed like, just be clear. Yeah, she didn't tweet anything, her. she just oh, liked yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and this was one of the things held against her under the category of support for other parties. Well, what was she supposed to say? <laughs> I wish, uh, if only it had been positive or something. I mean, it, it was really, and she was also supported, and she was also... Um, uh, accused of backing a campaign that wants a, a tougher New Green Deal than, than the Labour Party official policy. Um, I mean, and this is going on all over the place, that people's social media paths are being dredged through. And, uh, you know, we've all said something, um, maybe it's a bit silly or a bit untowards on, on social media over the years. But if you're on the left or if you look like a troublemaker, then you're out with the slightest excuse. But the same standards are not held um, the other way around, in 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 my view, and so, indeed, and indeed, yeah. you know, Christian Wakeford, the Conservative MP, uh, who was the Conservative MP for Bury South, he was uh, uh, his, was welcomed into the Labour Party. He hasn't even had to go through the trigger process, um, whereby the party decides whether they want to reselect him and have other candidates. 
And, and as I said on Twitter yesterday, you know, the, the easiest way to become a Labour MP these days seems to be uh, to become a Conservative MP first. And he'd said all sorts of terrible things about the Labour Party, which no doubt uh, the Conservatives and Bury South at the next election and maybe others too will be holding uh, against the party. So the, it's double standards, frankly. And and the manipulation, I mean, you know, I mean, for instance, the, the regional director of the London Labour Party, a woman called, uh, acting regional director, a woman called uh, Perlene Sanger, has, has voiced her support for uh, candidates, one in her region and one, well, in, in a mild way, but at least, you know, made it clear where she stands, uh, both in, in uh, on Twitter in the London region and one who was just outside uh, the London region. Uh, and, and so if, if, if people on the left break the rules, that's it, they're out, you know, they're finished. Um, and it, it's just just the double standards of the, of the whole thing, I think. I mean, you mentioned obviously Christian Wakeford, and obviously he's yeah. got well, his voting record for a start, made some inflammatory speeches about migrants, denounced the Labour Party in very aggressive terms. But just another example in terms of, you know, Darren Rodwell, who is a council leader, but who is supportive of the leadership. Um, and he was, he's was he been selected for Labour embarking Dagenham, despite once joking at Black History Month event that he had the worst possible tan for a black man, adding, I have the passion and the rhythm of the African and the Caribbean. I used to do swing dance, but because I used to love jiggling about, I mean, just crap. Well, I, I actually I actually would defend uh, uh, Darren Rowell on that. I've looked at the, the, wider, the wider event. Right. And I just think within the context of the afternoon, you know, that he was dressed up in African, he was asked to dress up in African dress. I don't think that comment was racist, but I, I, I think it was unwise and he should have thought ahead. And actually, I think he's one of the more interesting candidates because he's sort of, I mean, I call him Blue Labour, although he denies that. But he, he's one of these, um, you know, he's one of these people. He's got a, a picture of the Queen on his, uh, mm. on his office wall in his leader's office. And he, uh, I think, understands why um, uh, Labour voters, uh, in fact, in his borough, the only borough to vote for Brexit, he understands, I think, why Labour voters, lots of working class Labour voters voted for Brexit in the way the rest of the party doesn't. So actually, my view is he is one of the more interesting candidates and will be something of an asset. I don't think that comment was racist, but I can see that lots of people do. Um, I suppose the point I make is that the standards applied. Um, where you... yeah, well, he did actually also to be fair to the London region this time he did actually get hauled before a committee and they did give him a pretty hard time uh, before deciding to let his, his candidature go ahead I suspect if somebody on the left had said that well that's uh, what I mean that's what I mean if it was in a, an anti-semitic context which is the thing that people are often accused of or yeah. liking people who've been anti-Semite, you know, all of the, all of that, which is incredibly complicated stuff. Yeah. Uh, then uh, he would have been out as well. Yeah. So you wrote this article for Unheard, which is a headline, Starmer's ruthless attack on the left, almost the same title as this show, to be honest. Labour selection process verges on corruption, is what you say. Yeah. Now, what? why do you mean corruption? Well, in that, people, uh, people in positions of power are clearly not abiding by the rules. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, for instance, uh, it's it's astonishing how the what I call the anointed candidates, what you might call the lotto candidates, the leader of the opposition candidates, how so often they seem to get hold of membership lists uh, ahead of uh, the rest of the candidates. So under the rules, the, a candidate can only have the membership list for a constituency party about a fortnight before the actual selection meeting, which doesn't mm -hmm. give them very long. Uh, 14 days, sometimes less than that, to go around all the members. And some of these local parties have still got 1,000, 2,000 members. 
So it's almost impossible. But somehow some of these anointed candidates seem to get hold of membership lists way, way ahead, six months ahead, which gives them plenty of time to go around knocking on doors, literally emailing people, ringing them up. Um, and, you know, that is not only against the rules. It's actually against the law, I think, data protection law. Um, and there are all sorts of other ways in which clearly uh, officials of the party at one level or another are not abiding by the rules. I mean, there are also rules on um, spending as well, uh, which um, some of these uh, establishment candidates uh, seem to have uh, ignored in a, in a, in a, a huge way. Uh, I mean, you're only supposed to spend a thousand pounds or two. It depends on how many members there are in the party. Well, clearly some people have been spending way beyond that with videos and websites and you know, there was a guy the other day who had an ad ban at the um, selection meeting. And, you know, the party's turned a blind eye to that. And the mm -hmm. party officials have also, I think, have, have dismissed a lot of the objections made by uh, people in the selection processes that uh, members were excluded unfairly from the selection processes. I mean, it's incredibly Machiavellian, all of this, inc incredibly details and claim and counterclaim. I mean, in a way, as a journalist, I love it because it's politics in the raw. It's the kind of politics that never gets or rarely gets reported properly, in my view, on, on in, in uh, you know, the traditional media because it's, it's regarded as too parochial. But if you add up all what's going on in each of these places, it does paint a very uh, interesting picture. And I think it gives away a lot about what a Starmer government will be like. Now, the fascinating thing is, to what extent does Starmer know what's being done in his name? Does he know all these little tricks that uh, party officials around the country are playing and the manipulation of the long list and the exclusion of people from the long list because they're a threat to the establishment candidate. Uh, I mean, that sort of thing has gone, always gone on, but it's just going on a lot more this time. And, and is Starmer aware of all that? Uh, or is he basically just sort of uh, delegated it to his, uh, to his henchmen and said, you get on with that. I don't want to know. Well, I mean, on that, on um, that. So it doesn't reflect very well on him, I don't think. Well, in the article, what you wrote, um, so the, the point you made is, by contrast to successful yeah. Labour administrations of Attlee, Wilson, even Blair, all had significant yeah. representation from the left. Nye Bevan, Dick Crosman, Barbara Castle, Michael Foote, Tony Benn, Claire Short and John Prescott, to name a few. You also uh, wrote, um, it is not inconceivable that if Angela Rayner, John Prescott, Margaret Beckett or Neil Kinnock now applied to be a candidate, they would be blocked at the first hurdle by an EC panel. Of course, the likes of, say, Margaret Beckett, for those who don't know, started off very much on the left of the Labour Party. She was in the Socialist Campaign Group until 1988. Uh, once uh, denounced Neil Kinnock for abstaining in the deputy leadership battle between Dennis Healy and Tony Benn. It's so, it so uh, good for someone so young. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, not, not as young as I were you? <laughs> I was essentially born into the Labour Party, unfortunately. Uh, and you, I got this... you were a militant, weren't you? Is that uh, right? my... No, I will. My, my dad, my father was uh, the South Yorkshire organiser of a militant tendency. All right. Uh, but, right. but me uh, and my. Uh, about them. And, uh, you're I know. And indeed, some of the methods are rather similar. <laughs> well, we, well, without, I mean, they didn't have the leadership. But yeah, I mean, yeah. my. Uh, <laughs> I, I, of course, they had a leadership. I mean, <laughs> no, no, I didn't. They didn't have the party leadership doing these stitch jobs, is what I mean. Oh, no, 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 no. But I'm saying that militant in the way they operated. Uh, you know, th th I mean, it's all underhand stuff. It's, it's, but it's what, you know, it's, that's what makes it. Fun. Anyway, carry on. I've, I've interrupted. What I was going to ask, what I was gonna ask you about this is yeah. what just on this kind of yeah. basically war to destroy the left. Because so in, in Keir Starmer's leadership campaign, um, what they did kind of there was a plausible deniability in terms of we've got a broad church. 
because yeah. he brought on Morgan McSweeney, for example, yeah. who ran Liz Kendall's um, campaign for the party leadership. She only got 4.5%. They went back to the drawing board and came up with a better strategy, as it turned out. But anyway, you had Morgan McSweeney. You had fixers for the Labour right, like Matt Pound. Uh, for those who don't know, this is just a Labour right fixer. That's the old Labour right. Um, he, used to, at- he used to run the... Uh- uh, he used to work for this body, Labour First, that's been around a long yeah. time. Right-wing Labour body. Uh, they hate us using the term right-wing, but I, I, I think it's you know exactly. We know what people know what we mean. To be fair, and he would, and 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 uh, Matt was very success. Matt Pound was very successful actually before the last election when Corbyn was in power at actually making sure that right-wing candidates did get selected in all sorts of places. Uh, but now he's doing it sort of officially for the for the party. I don't know. Saying to, in terms of Labour right-wingers, Luke Akehurst is one of the main Labour first people, calls himself a Labour right-winger and talks about the Labour right. So I, I think we can get away with that. But the point I make is they brought on some Corbyn people, uh, like Simon Fletcher and Annalise Midgley, yes. but then just got rid of them and then kept the old right, the right-wing fixers. But Morgan McSweeney, who uh, is now Labour's election campaign director... According to Nick Forbes, who's the former leader of Newcastle City Council, I did an event with him years ago, he said that Morgan McSweeney doesn't have room for compromise with the hard left. He thinks they need to be eradicated from the party because they are so dangerous. That's the point, isn't it? This is actually about just purging the Labour left in a way that no previous Labour administration, not Kinnock, not Blair, has tried to do. Yeah, I think that that is what they want to do, and uh, and I mean the fact they want a gun for everybody, you know, <laughs> you know they want to line them all up against a wall with a machine gun and and eliminate them, and uh, it suggests to me that actually they would like the the, the left to leave uh, and form their own party, which may well happen. I mean, I think one of the interesting scenarios right now that people aren't discussing em- enough is what happens if you get a a car a, 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 that Starmer is prime minister but without a majority. And that has got to be a very strong chance because to get a majority of one, Labour needs a a lead of 12%, which is huge in historic terms. Blair only got 12.8% in 1997. The reward then was a majority of 177. But now the electoral map is different and the arithmetic is different. And I think there must be a very strong chance there will be only a minority Labour government. And given that most constituency parties in the Labour Party now would want proportional representation, you could see them doing a deal with the Lib Dems who are going to write, strike a much tougher bargain than they did uh, with Cameron 12 years ago, or, or indeed when they struck bargains with Blair and Callaghan in the past. Um, and you could see PR coming in, and that would be the moment perhaps that the, you know, the left would be, you know, decide it might, it's better off leaving and that they then under a PR system would get a small group in Parliament. And of course, that would get, also give a boost to the, to the uh, you know, the Farage right as well. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, there clearly is a relationship, a stronger relationship between the St- Starmer and Davy. They may never even talk, but they, they, you, you saw in those by-elections last year, the way that Labour went for one and the Lib Dems went for another. And you see it in local government elections. I think there's a growing understanding between the parties, uh, which may, which may well come to fruition if Labour doesn't get a majority. If Labour does get a majority, then like 1997, uh, the, you know, the Liberal Democrats uh, will have to get lost. Michael, just lastly, because as we both said, the danger is a lot of people look at this and think it's quite parochial. It's the internal machinations of a political party. We're both political nerds. I think we've yeah. established uh, yeah. that in this particular chat, but I think people are already aware of that. For most people, they think, look, all I care about is voting for a political party that addresses my needs and concerns. Why do I care 
about what they're doing internally. So the question I'm asking you is, why does this matter for our democracy? And what do you think it says about Keir Starmer in terms of how or Starmer government would approach dissent, if you like, but from within and from without? I, I think he will crack down on, on dissent uh, within within the parliamentary Labour Party, uh, even more strongly than, than uh, Labour governments have in the past. Uh, and I think that um, it may, life may be very difficult for people like us, uh, inquisitive and curious journalists um, uh, who may, uh, you know, I, I think it, they may not be that friendly towards the media. I mean, it, if you if you are as authoritarian as this is, then that that is also that tends to also be part of the package. The reason why this is important is that MPs aren't just MPs. They're the pool of people from whom Labour governments, future Labour governments or any governments are chosen. Um, and you need to have people of sufficient calibre uh, to be ministers. And it, it, what's worth looking at is who's being chosen instead of all, uh, instead. And they, 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 te they tend to be pretty dull. Uh, they tend to be uh, uh, overwhelmingly people who've served as councillors. Now, I've got nothing against the councillors being MPs, but you also need people who have got bigger picture uh, backgrounds, people <laughs> with the experience in economics, foreign policy, defence. Uh, development and, and working class candidates. The point you made is there's a lack exactly. of working there class. No, candidates. There are virtually no working class. I mean, there's a there's a woman uh, uh, standing in a Doncaster Central who's a prison officer. Yeah. There was a woman uh, who was a, a a post post woman uh, who tried to get the West Lancashire uh, the nomination be a by election if Rosie Cooper. Uh, decided, decides to stand down. Uh, she was purged uh, from the selection process. Uh, very few people with working class background. Very no black people so far. Ethnic minorities are doing pretty badly. I think there have been seven so far, but they're all uh, of Asian background. Astonishingly, Labour is not. Apart from Miata, sorry, in Camberwell and Peckham. Oh yeah, sorry. Yes, that's right. Yeah, um, but the the uh, right, so six what so six Asian and one black, but no black women. Uh, sorry, no black men yeah. have been chosen for a Labour seat, believe it or not, for 11 years now, yeah. for, for a winnable Labour seat. Yeah. Uh, so a winnable seat for Labour, let me rephrase that. No black mm -hmm. men have been chosen for a winnable seat for Labour since Clive Lewis was chosen uh, not, for not in, 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 uh, in 2011. Uh, so there's 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 deficiencies here, and it, but it's overwhelmingly people with council backgrounds. Yeah. And I hate to be snobbish about this, but and there's about 13 of the candidates have been council leaders or deputy leaders. People who run councils don't actually make very good um, Westminster politicians. I think Mr. Rodwell, we discussed earlier, might be an interesting uh, addition. He may not be a great minister, but I'm sure he's going to be one of the characters of the Commons. Mm -hmm. And but I think uh, you've got to have people with. Uh, experience, uh, a big, big picture stuff. And I think that Starmer knows that. And towards the end of the process, it's going to be even more blatant. It's going to be much, much more what uh, is disparagingly called parachuting people in, uh, which I call slotting people in. I think it's I think it's understandable a leader should do a bit of that because, yeah. you know, you need a few of your advisors in as MPs and you need to really make sure that your cabinet is full of people who are you know, really clever and formidable, able to deal with the civil service and deal with big, big problems. Uh, but at, at this stage, it's just the, the sort of annihilation, really, of the left. And the left is incredibly demoralised. Well, you know better than I do. Hi. He's <laughs> not even bothering, you know, he's um, not even bothering to uh, to contest these places because they know they won't get anywhere. And no, of course, a lot of left wing members have left.
Well, I'm about to talk about that, of course, with John McDonnell. Um, right. Hopefully, it'll be it'll full of cheer. We'll both be full of cheer, I'm sure, by the end of that particular conversation. Um, Michael, it's been such an honour to chat to you. And I have to say, it really is a testament to your journalistic integrity, your your political and intellectual curiosity, because this does matter. Oh, you are, you're laying it on a bit thick here, Owen. No, I do mean it. I am often not particularly enamoured, I have to say, with a lot of political reporting. Um, in this country, often t- treats politics as a soap opera for a start, but it's often, yeah. you know, kowtows to dominant political narratives. And you, you know, you have been, you've been a massive nerd, if that's more insulting. Uh, but you've, you've, you've gone into the detail. Go well, you've gone into the detail of, of a selection process, and it does matter for our democracy. I think that's what matters. Yeah. Uh, it's not just for people like myself and John McDonnell, who clearly are aggrieved about our form of politics being attacked. Uh, but the, the, the crucial point is here that I mean, take right now. Uh, and we're awaiting a result from Sheffield Central um, and where the Labour Party this afternoon are meeting at uh, Hallam University and and deciding who is and the majority of Sheffield Central is 27,000. So who the Labour Party are choosing right now and we'll get them announced in the next few minutes. And Eddie, Eddie Izzard's for, up for it, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. that that person will be the MP for Sheffield Central, could be for decades. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what happens at the general election. They are being chosen right now. And that's why these processes are really, really important, because in many, many cases, they are effectively the election of that person as an MP. We will look out for Sheffield Central. I'm sure there's lots of these. But for, just to finally wrap up, you can follow all of this in detail if you follow Michael's very specific Twitter account, which is Tomorrow's MPs. Is that right? At Tomorrow's MPs. Yeah. I should have thought of something more catchy than that. And yeah, I was no, just, I ended up in a hurry. <laughs> so basically, follow tomorrow's MPs on Twitter, and you yeah. basically just get a live feed of every single Labour selection. Well, you know, I can't do it all the time, but you certainly, yeah, when the selections are on, which tends to be when I'm at a full... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ball match. I've gone out for the evening, so it's quite difficult. But I've got a little bit of help. Uh, on it, um, but uh, I do try. I try and get the result as quickly as possible. But I maybe I'm just desperate that I missed Sheffield Central and that it was announced 15 minutes ago. But um, oh, uh, who got it? Who got it? Who got? Who won? I'm just, I'm just worried that it was. That's oh, I see. I, right, I see. Okay. No, because they started at two o'clock. Gosh, that's three and a half hours now. Surely they would have chosen somebody by now. But um, well, uh, I will follow your feed religiously uh, as ever yeah. to find out exactly what happens. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, keep up the great work Thank take you. care see you in a bit brilliant stuff right i'm going to bring john mcdonald straight in hey john sorry to keep you waiting there great no to problem. see you how you no doing problem. yeah very um, good this, 
I'm disappointed because Michael has um, beat you in the knitwear front. Normally, that's kind of your job, I would say. Okay. Uh, I think your knitwear became something of a political icon during the last few years. I'm just trying uh, to keep warm at the moment, Aaron. Anyway, go on, yeah. I know, it was really nippy out there. Yeah, John, okay, so... When people say, so, okay, people go, well, every party leadership does, does this. Every party leadership tries to stitch things up. This happened in the Corbyn period. What would you say when people say that? I don't think we've seen anything on the scale of this. If, if the allegations are anywhere near accurate, and they are allegations, just be careful in our language. If the allegations are anywhere near accurate, we've never seen anything on the scale of this. And... Uh, Michael Crick, I've always looked upon as a journalist, as a pain in the neck, you know that. Um, but nevertheless, I always ensured that when he asked me a question, I responded to it. And when he used to um, grab me in the street with a microphone under my nose, I did usually, and I think he can attest to this, I did usually stop and try and treat him properly as a journalist and responded to his questions. But if you have someone like him using the language he just did on your programme, he has done his articles, I think there's something there the, the party has to take seriously. You can't ignore those the scale of the allegations. So, yeah, fixes have gone on. They always have for the history of politics. Nothing on this scale. And it is worrying, not just for party democracy, but some of the conclusions that Michael and others are now drawing about the potential of what democracy would look like in the future under a Labour government if these sort of practices, as alleged, can continue on. Now, you actually wrote a letter to Keir Starmer, which I, mm -hmm. I wrote a column last week about the selections nightmare within the Labour Party. Do you just tell us just what, what that letter was about, what it, what it set out and what it called for? OK. Um, I wrote to Starmer, Keir Starmer, basically saying that there's a massive allegations that have come in um, which have involved what can only be described as allegations of abuse and malpractice in the parliamentary selection process, um, most of which you've just heard Michael Crick discuss with you um, about the way favoured candidates um, were advantaged by the provision of um, membership lists, the way in which um, members were excluded from some of the meetings themselves. These are all allegations, but there's so many of the allegations. For example, where there's been Zoom meetings, people have been left in the waiting room and not brought in until after the vote was on. Large numbers of members who seem to have lost their membership before the election, its selection process itself. And even when they've been reinstated, it's been too late, or they're reinstated with a new membership number. That means they don't have the qualifying date to length of service to be able to have a whole range of allegations like that and I thought actually this is it's like a sort of huge scale coming in so I simply wrote to Keir Starmer and said look um, these allegations are coming in thick and fast they're serious because they undermine the confidence in the selection process itself and actually start to a certain extent I also think it starts bringing the party into disrepute so I suggested to him the way to cut through this is one um, do what the trade unions and actually most major voluntary organisations do, most Labour chair, have an independent scrutiny to manage this selection process. And that's standard practice. Trade unions do it, national voluntary organisations do it. And it's just the norm. It's the norm when you're dealing with serious selections and elections. That's the first thing. And I said, actually, also, 
on the allegations that have been received, bring back the Ford panel who did the who were commissioned by Keir Starmer to look at the um, the investigation. It was an investigation into the Labour Party and what what gone on in recent years. And Ford looked at these issues around um, the culture of the the party, um, arguing about the need to restore that broad church approach. But also he looked in detail and did substantiate allegations with regard to the use of the disciplinary process in facts for factual purposes. So I, I thought um, the Ford panel was sufficiently independent to be able to come in and independently investigate the allegations and, and come to a view. And then they could advise Keir Starmer and the NEC what to do. I actually thought they were very basic recommendations, not contentious, actually, neither of them, because they're sort of standard practice when you confront issues like this. Um, but the, I did get a response, but it wasn't from Keir Starmer. Um, he passed it on to David Evans, and I got a response from David Evans. Which was uh, just to be clear, that's just so everyone knows that's the general secretary of the Labour Party. Yeah, yeah. I got, I, I got, I wrote to Keir Starmer as the leader of the Labour Party and as a member of the National Executive Committee, um, and I never got a response from Keir Starmer. I then eventually got a response from David Evans, the general secretary of the Labour Party, and he was basically um, basically arguing these allegations don't stand up. But if you have any, any specific examples. Um, send them to and then one of the party bodies, etc. The point about that, um, and I wrote back to Keir Starmer and said, actually, when I write to the leader of the Labour Party, I do expect a response from the leader of the Labour Party. And to pass the um, process of dealing with these allegations over to the manager of the body against uh, whose allegations are being made clearly isn't clearly isn't appropriate because if. When you've got serious allegations, you need to have an independent investigation. And that's why he set up the Ford panel in the first place. So I thought, use the very mechanism that Keir Starmer set up to investigate these matters. And in that way, um, not everyone would be reassured, but I certainly would at least be reassured there's an independent process going on. And then you rebuild confidence, really. And on that basis, um, we just we could all then move on. But that hasn't happened. And I just worry that the situation will rumble on now, um, demoralise Labour Party members with regard to how they get involved in these selection processes. And yes, if if the allegations are true, and if they are true, it does mean that actually this parliamentary selection process, um, abuse and malpractice is going on, that is excluding effectively, and it is candidates from the left, you know. And one of the allegations that oh, many of the allegations that have been made has been around the way in which shortlists have been developed to prevent um, candidates from the left coming on and, and rejected on spurious grounds or long list, on, from the longlisting process. And then the packing of shortlists so that a favoured candidate has a virtually a clear run. If any of those allegations are true, that's, a, that's an incredibly serious matter. And I do think it's the scale of it and the nature of it if these allegations are true, it's significantly different from anything we've ever experienced before. Um, so anyway, Michael Crick raised the issue, Did does, my, does Keir Starmer know about this? Well, I thought right into the leader of the Labour Party, um, as one Labour MP to another Labour MP, to draw attention to them means now he does know about it and therefore the onus is upon him to take some form of appropriate action. And to refer it to the general secretary, the, the, the Labour, Labour Party, I don't think is the appropriate action when I'm calling for an independent process to take place. I'm worried about asking this next question because of how authoritarian 
the atmosphere has become within the Labour Party and the fact that my own view is that the Labour leadership are looking for excuses, not just, we're not just, obviously we're looking at the rigging of selections, but would happily kick people like you out of the Parliamentary Labour Party if they could get away with it because they fear, for example, in a hung parliament that the Labour left would have undue political influence. So don't say, obviously you're not going to say, you're a canny politician, I don't need to tell you this, but it still still makes me worry. Look, Keir Starmer's leadership election, in my view, is the most dishonest campaign for any party leadership in the history of British democracy. That's like, you know, people go, oh, what about the Tories? What about the Tories? Obviously, general election campaigns, all sorts of deceit. But Boris Johnson's leadership campaign, he promised shit and he delivered shit. Um, Keir Starmer promised a radical domestic uh, prospect, policy prospectus combined with professionalism, party unity and a broad church. John, this is an unbelievable ludicrous, farcical violation, as I've said, not just of the letter, but of the spirit of that leadership campaign. His party leadership could not be more different from what that man promised to party members and form the basis of his mandate. What I said um, and got some stick for it um, when Keir won the leadership election was I said we would not participate or get involved in any way in the same sort of treatment that Jeremy got when he took over the leadership and when I became part of that. Um, and I said what we would seek to do is be as supportive as possible to ensure that he had the opportunity then of having won the leadership election to steer the party on a course that he set out when he, on the basis of, of, of the platform he, he won the election on. And so I've not been, um, I've not been in a situation where there's any way I can level any sort of um, criticism of him unjustifiably. There's a difference between um, trying to impede and undermine a, a new in, new incoming leadership because that's what happened with Jeremy Corbyn, if you remember, when Jeremy Corbyn won the leadership election on the very days, at the very time he was um, making his acceptance speech, there were people resigning minute by minute, if you like, to undermine him. And we had that on with a couple coups taking place and me having to fend off a coup almost on a monthly basis. That was my job to a certain extent. It was driving me up the wall. I was spending so much time on it. But we said that we would never allow that to happen to Keir. Give him a fair run, give him a fair chance. He's won it on a, on a platform, which most of us actually, it, it derived from our last two manifestos, and he won it on the basis of party unity. Now, what's happened since then, I think it's for Keir to account for what's happened since then and to explain how his leadership now reflects actually what he said in that leadership election to get elected. And I think the onus is upon him, not us. Um, and I think in many ways, uh, my worry at the moment is that um, we, we all want a Labour government. We're absolutely desperate to get rid of the Tories. We're desperate to get a Labour government. Um, and we want to do nothing that undermines the ability of us achieving that Labour government. But at the same time, to, to when, when you go into an election, you've got to go into an election with full confidence that um, we have the right policies. And at the same time, we also have a commitment to certain basic values of our party, one of which is democracy. So I think it's for Keir now to demonstrate how as the leader he takes us into this next election, 
which reflects, as I say, the right policy programme and at the same time adheres to the democratic values of our party. The onus is upon him, it's not upon us. One way of doing that, particularly with regard to fulfilling his commitment uh, that he, he undertook as leader of uniting the party, well, a couple of ways. One is um, addressing these allegations about the parliamentary selections by having an independent scrutineer taken over and also having the Ford panel undertake the investigation into the allegations. And I have to say, and I'll keep repeating this ad nauseum, I know for some people, another way of demonstrating um, un the un that he is uniting the party would be restore the whip to Jeremy Corbyn. I think it would be a huge act to demonstrate to the whole of the party that actually he wants to bring us all together. And everyone knows, you know, a united party wins election, a disunited one that doesn't necessarily win elections uh, and also it, when they go into government, if it is disunited, it doesn't sustain itself effectively. That's the problem that we've got here. So there's real opportunities now, I think, for Keir to grasp the nettle and move on. And I say that as in as positive a light as I possibly can, because I don't want to be accused of doing anything that undermines our access to government. But I mean, if I was going to be all just get really bleak about this. I mean, four days after Jeremy Corbyn was elected in 2015, a shadow cabinet member, <laughs> remember the shadow cabinet members refused to accept the legitimacy of the leader. But they said the bust up will have to be brutal. Putting the left in a box for 30 years are out of the party. That's That was, that. I'm bringing it up from the 16th of September, 2015. That was what they promised. And that is what they're delivering. And I suppose the point I'd maybe put to you is, a lot of people now would look at this and think, the left is buggered. It just doesn't have a future. They're never, ever, mm. this time, ever going to let, you know, and so, you know, they're, they're cold, they're, they're, the party would have to be wrestled from their cold, dead hands. They're never, ever going to let the left have any influence. They're going to stop any candidates almost being selected. David Barwater asked, why aren't more MPs talking about this? Why are the unions silent about this? Why isn't there any organised effort to oppose what Keir and his team are doing? Michael Crick just suggested the left left the battlefield, that the left is just being pummeled to death, but, but you don't have this organised fight back. So what do you say? I mean, a lot of people, as I say, just feel this is it. It's game yeah. over. Yeah. Matt Zob cousin ran Rebecca Long-Bailey's campaign. He's now joined the Green Party. It is, many people will recognise that it is tough at the moment. There's no doubt about it. Um, but when it's tough, you don't leave the field. You dig in and you dig in and even if it's tough for you doing that you actually try and do everything you possibly can to hold um, the ground within the party and the focus that we've had in recent months because of the challenges that we've faced the, to be frank the focus to a certain extent is holding on to what we've got in terms of parliamentary representation and if you look at what's happened to campaign group representation, virtually everyone has got through their trigger ballots and selections. Um, in Milne's victory the other week, and there will be issues raised about that parliamentary process as well. Ian's uh, members have been collecting evidence about what went on, and that will eventually be published. But in um, winning that selection was demonstrated actually on the ground the, the rank and file of the Labour Party are still largely centre-left and left-ish um, in terms of policy, but also have a respect for people who are engaged in 
campaigns that really are reflect the needs of working class people. So Ian and his right to fuel campaign, Ian and his link up with the Liverpool Dockers on picket line after picket line. So we've concentrated on making sure that we maintain the campaign group membership, first of all, and we've done that largely. The outstanding selection is Apsana. And you, we've had this conversation before because I was in dialogue with Keir Starmer from the very beginning. I was Apsana's witness in court, if you remember, when she was taken to court. Just so and people are aware, sorry, Apsana Began, who's the Labour MP for Poplar and Limehouse, and went through, has gone through a really quite gruesome process. She's obviously talked about allegations of, for example, domestic abuse and how that's been amplified politically, basically. These are allegations. And those, uh, the way that she's been treated from the beginning and the impact it's had on her health, I, I was in correspondence with Keir Starmer and that they've now halted the Shagabat process in terms of selection process until she's well again and she's slowly getting back into work. My view is actually that looking at what's happening in that constituency Labour Party, it's very difficult to see how you can have a proper selection process, bearing in mind the allegations that have flown with regard to uh, domestic abuse. So, again, all the other campaign group members have got through their selection process and got through it very well, very well. That's the first thing. The second thing, on the, where there have been selections coming up, um, seats that are winnable seats, yeah, we haven't done well. And there's a combination of reasons for that. One is possibly the allegations that we've seen uh, that Michael Crick and others have brought forward. That's the first thing of blocking and disadvantaged left, left candidates. There is a second issue though as well, and we've got to take responsibility for that, is that we have lost large numbers of left members. You know, 200,000 people have left the Labour Party, and if they vacate the Labour Party, they're not there to vote in selections. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just saying that's the reality of what we face. Yeah. So this is a period in which we dig in. What's interesting though, you know, um, what I'm finding about, first of all, about these allegations of what's happening on parliamentary selections, it isn't just the left of the Parliamentary Labour Party that are worried about this. I think it's much broader. I think it's a lot of people who you wouldn't think are on the left in the PLP, but actually don't think this is the right thing to do and this isn't fair. And actually, if they can use it against, if they can use it against the left, they can use these methods against anyone. That's the worry that people have. And again, I, I, I say this, and I don't say this flippantly. The, if these allegations are true, the very people who are now trying to block left candidates or get rid of left candidates, they're the same people. Actually, if Key is not per careful, they're the same people who'd come for him. If he, don't, if he allows this to go on, these allegations are very serious. If you do lose democracy within the party and you allow a clique to take over and use these sort of methods... They can take anyone out. So that's, I think that's that's the, the serious element of all of this. The other issue as well, I just say this, economically, I'm not an economic determinist behaviour, but it is a big factor of that. Economic reality is intruding. You know, the real world is intruding into Labour Party politics. So we've got industrial action where we maybe could have up to over a million people taking industrial action of some form. We've got a cost of living crisis. And it's forcing the Labour Party, I think, to have a serious discussion about where we're going from here on in. And that really means, therefore, about the sort of representation that we have in, as well in the future. So, I, I, yeah, it's tough times at the moment. But my view is you dig in, 
you consolidate what you have and then you start rebuilding again on the basis of that. And remember, Owen, I've been through some tough times. <laughs> I've been in the party of 45, 45 years. I've been in Parliament 25 years and it, and it has been tough at different times. And these things come in waves and, you know, you remember, I, I was doing all those alternative budgets to Gordon Brown and goodness yeah. knows what else and advancing policies, most of which seem to have been accepted in this recent period as well, which is quite bizarre. Yeah. Just say, just say finally, I mean, that was just the, the wider point, because a lot of people, as I said, you know, the dangers, people think, oh, this is all parochial. Why does this matter for me? I suppose, I mean, there's two points. Millions of people do support things like public ownership of utilities or significantly more progressive taxes, wealth tax uh, or... Um, you know, um, scrapping student, you know, saddling people with debt for going to university or more trade union rights. These are supported by millions of people. And if Labour excludes those MPs, they are excluding views which millions of people do hold and which deserve a place in the political process. But the other point is about authoritarianism. You know, I used to, for those who don't know, I used to work for John McDonnell in his, in his office. And when I, I remember the first week I worked for you, it was November... 2005 it's been a long time um but i remember this well because it was the f it was the first defeat new labor suffered they were trying to ram through 90 days detention and that was part of a whole slew of very authoritarian mm. attacks on civil liberties and all the rest of it now people might go oh well, this is over the top Owen. we're just talking about internal stuff in the labor party and now you're going on about civil liberties in britain but i think isn't that the danger you get a general authoritarian approach which is directed within the party, but it, but that same man, mindset can be applied and may well be applied elsewhere. Harold Wilson, you've made reference to him, I think, earlier. Harold Wilson, uh, or Michael Crick has made reference. Uh, Harold Wilson had a broad church approach to holding the party together. And in his cabinet, in his cabinet, he had left, right and centre. They were robustious but actually they arrived at the right policy decisions because policy decisions were tested from left and right. Hence, we never entered into support for engaging in the Vietnam War. If you get to a situation um, where it, policy is not contested, you wind up with catastrophic policy failures. Iraq War, for example. Even then, you know, you, you had a large number of Labour MPs challenging that decision but the nature of the Blair leadership at the time was that it was it was driven through and it was seen as catastrophic I thought after that we'd learned some lessons that actually you did need to build in to the decision making process a much plural range of voices and sometimes that's about challenging left policies as well I when I was shadow chancellor I used to I used to welcome those debates where people would come up and say scrapping non-dom status is ludicrous, it will cost yeah. us money. Can you remember Ed Balls coming out on that one? Mm -hmm. Now it's policy because it's seen as the natural way of tackling an element of tax avoidance. So, again, I, I, I welcome that. And if you undermine it, you just get mistakes made in yeah. government. Yeah. And I, I'm part of this debate, I think, is to broaden it into what sort of government do we want how do we ensure that when we go into government, we don't just have the right policies, but also we develop them and implement them effectively? And one way of doing that is making sure they're challenged. And if you close down democratic engagement in, in the way that allegations on selections are doing, 
you do wind up with poor policymaking at the end of the day. And that will cost us a Labour government. We might win, but we're not going to be sustained in office if we make mistakes like that. You know. So anyway, my view is it's tough at the moment for the left. We've got to dig in. Um, I urge people not to leave the party. I understand why some have. I urge people not to in some ways rejoin because this is a longer term project. You know, socialism wasn't built overnight. It comes in waves. The reality is actually that what people are facing in, in the real world out there on a whole range of fronts, not just the cost of living crisis and the, the struggles for our public services, but also that existential threat of climate change, they all can only be solved, as far as I can see, with socialist policies. And in many ways, that will intrude upon Labour Party thinking in, in, eventually. And we've got to be there to ensure that we promote those policies. And we sustain a Labour government in, in gov we sustain a Labour government to be able to address those issues. And, you know, sometimes you have to do that despite people's um, own desires and wishes. And in some ways, that's where we're at at the moment, you know, shaking up the party to recognise the reality of what's go going on. I, in many ways, it's interesting, you know, you can get inspired by a whole range of issues, can't you? And sometimes when you're engaging in just Labour Party meetings, you think oh, sometimes this is getting got beyond uh, that, beyond reasonable in some respects. And then you go on a picket line and you just meet the courageous struggles that people are taking place and you have the debates about what's going on. Those picket lines and those demonstrations really, I think, demonstrate where the real politics are in our society at the moment. Eventually, we've got to make sure the Labour Party reflects those. Amen. John, voice of reason as ever, the best leader Labour never had. Um, really, really appreciate it as ever. And I think such an eloquent and also anyone, I think, regardless of where they stand politically, I think if they were listening in good faith, they'd realise the democratic case, the moral, the ethical case is absolutely overwhelming. And the clear overwhelming evidence is of wrongdoing in the pursuit of very narrow and cynical political ends anyway john thank you so much as ever take care good to speak uh, keep warm and i'll see you soon take care all the rest great stuff from john and great stuff from michael and as i said it's just very important we had michael michael crick's voice because he's, he's not a lefty <laughs> so when michael crick is making these points people should sit up and listen just very quickly finally thank you to peter o'donovan who says pr is needed Keir needs to do that uh, yes, proportional representation. Uh, I doubt you're right. Would, would 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 we still have one political party with Peter Mandelson and John McDonnell in the same political party? Probably not. Thanks to David Browett as ever. Thanks to Surden STR. Thanks to Tad Campwell as ever. Thanks to Polar Bear Protection. Protect the polar bears. Very, very important. Very keen on that. Uh, we keep... We're, doing these daily videos. I've done a video yesterday about why I'm voting for Labour, what the basis for that is, despite being a socialist in the current context. And uh, that links actually to Tad Campwell's comment, sorry, which was, um, you know, will there not be a leadership challenge to Keir Starmer if Labour wins an election because he'll be in power for so long? All I'd say is, um, I think with a Labour government raising expectations, having kicked out the Tories um, and then dashing them because they won't do what's needed, that's when the left comes into its own. That's my own view, but I did have, if you look up why I'm voting Labour, despite them hating me, um, not me personally, but my, well, I mean, some of them do actually. Um, anyway, um, yes, so, and thanks to Kevin Slims. Lib Dem should run on rejoining the EU. Oh, I'm not going to go into that now. It's six o'clock, time to end the show. Uh, thank you, everybody, uh, as ever, for joining us, for taking part. 
uh, and I will see you tomorrow with our video. Oh, we've got a video. Very important. I'm about to interview her now, actually. I'm so sorry because I actually need to go. Um, uh, Mandy Raid, who is the leader of the Women's Equality Party, who witnessed what happened at the palace the other day when a senior royal um, essentially was a racist, terrible racist incident, which has caused big drama. So I'm going to be interviewing her and that interview will be up tomorrow. So do not miss that uh, because she witnessed it and she can talk about what actually happened and what it all means. All right, that's enough for me. Take care, everyone. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.